Check Me Out is a production of Panhandle PBS and Amarillo College's FM90. Partners include the Amarillo Public Library, the Harrington Library Consortium, and Amarillo College, with the support from the Anne Ray Foundation and Barnes & Noble Booksellers. When I was looking over the list, there were quite a few that I just bawled all the way through, whether it was a book or when I saw the movie. So like when my mother took me to see The Help and told me it was a comedy. <laughs> and I'm not sure where she got that information from, but like within the first five minutes, I was just bawling all the way through. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the chimes ring like this. Welcome to Check Me Out, a podcast for book lovers. I'm Hillary Holsey, and I'll be your host today. Our episode two is entitled You'll Need Therapy, and that's mostly about books that are going to make you cry, make you weep, make you emotional, or as we were just discussing amongst ourselves, ones that just kind of messed you up a little bit in your head. <laughs> I'm going to go around uh, and introduce, well, have them introduce themselves the person on my left. I'm Jill Gibson, and I am the chair of the Matinee Mass Media Program here at Amarillo College. I'm Jacob Breeden. I'm a working artist and artist in residence for a therapy program called Applied Comprehensive Therapies. I'm Christy Ford. I'm licensed professional counselor, and I also work with Applied Comprehensive Therapies with Jacob. Thank you, guys, and welcome to the podcast. So what the podcast is about, for those of you who have never listened and are tuning in for the first time, we are at a PBS currently, and PBS has a nationwide televised competition between books, a list of 100 books, and it's America's most beloved books. So we have the list in front of us, and, and our guests have reviewed them, but they're also going to talk about books that they just think in general make you sad. So um, also I want to remind you, if you've not gone and looked at the list and if you've not voted yet, that's very important. You need to vote for your favorite book. You can do that on our website at www.panhandlepbs.org slash greatamericanread. So let's get started. Why don't we go around, starting with Jill, and talk about books that made you sad or weepy or upset? Well, I think characterizing it as books that make you upset sounds negative. I think it's good to read books that are moving or sad. That's part of what makes them valuable. Uh, maybe this shouldn't be called You'll Need Therapy. It's good therapy. Books are good therapy. So I did look at the list, and there are several that made me sad on the list, but I don't know if any of them made me weep openly. Certainly anything by John Green is upsetting to people, and yet they seem to still like it because he's very popular. But one that I, I found on the list that made me very sad that I don't think most people would identify as a sad book is The Great Gatsby. Do you guys think The Great Gatsby is a sad book? Yes. Yeah, I, mean, I think that, there's that elements for sure. Really... I, I guess it would make me cry because the ending is so hopeless and it's very discouraging when you read that last line uh, that you can never make progress, that you're just going on and trying and you can never reach your goal. Boy, that's a sad book. We promised to talk about where the red fern grows before we began the podcast, and anything where the dog dies right. makes me sad. <laughs> People can die, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that's rough. But the dog dies, mm -hmm. I cry. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there are any others on the list that involve animals. I guess Charlotte's Web. I do get more sad about the death of a dog than a spider, but Charlotte's Web was a book that made me sad. Yeah. 
All right, Jacob, what about you? I don't think there's really any on here that I would qualify as books that made me sad. There's a lot that sort of pushed my mind in different directions or maybe made me angry. Um, there are certain things like anything written by Ayn Rand makes me angry. Um, I just don't like the mentality. I, sort of the same with Catcher in the Rye. Um, I'm one of those people who probably should really love that book, but I find the character <laughs> insufferable. Um, so that's another one. And then, of course, uh, you know, things like Siddhartha were really impactful books, and they, they sort of pushed me intellectually and emotionally in a different direction, but I'm, I'm not one that really cries at film or theater or anything like that anyway, so I, I don't know if there's any that I would think on this list that I would call books that made me very, very sad. Would you talk a little bit more about Siddhartha? Because I think that that's one that not a lot of people, at least in our area, have read. Sure. Um, that one hit me fairly hard and at a pretty a normal age for that kind of impact to happen. I was probably 15. It was the summer before I got my driver's license, so I was kind of floating in this netherworld of needing a job, but I had to ride a bike still. And, <laughs> and so I spent a lot of time that summer just you know working around the house and at my, you know, my parents' home and, and reading. And I had been given a stack of books by my dad, and it was books on every major religion. So I was sort of told, you know, pick one or don't pick one, but you need to read the books. Mm. And and one of the books that came across was Siddhartha and the way it sort of opened my mind to, I didn't know the words for it at the time, but mindfulness and presentness and, and understanding the world as it exists as opposed to how we try to manifest it, it impacted me really heavily at that time period and sort of gave me a little validity for how I believed. I was not raised with religion. I wasn't raised in a Christian household. And that in this part of the world can make for some difficulty in feeling like you belong and that you make sense. And the nature of that book and the path that Siddhartha takes through the book, strangely enough, I reread it about six months ago, and then I reread it again leading up for this podcast. And I've taken a sort of strangely similar path in some ways. So it kind of dawned on me how impactful it really was. So it gives you therapy in almost a different way. Like just, it, it gave me validation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, okay. it helped me understand where I, where spiritually I actually could belong without having to adhere to a particular dogma. I felt that way about The Alchemist when I read it. I read that my senior year, and I, it really impacted me and changed how I felt, especially being raised in this area. So I get that. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Christy, it is now your turn. Okay. When I was looking over the list, there were quite a few that I just bawled all the way through, whether it was a book or when I saw the movie. So like when my mother took me to see The Help and told me it was a comedy. (laughs) And I'm not sure where she got that information from, but like within the first five minutes, I was just bawling all the way through. But I think for me, the book that impacted me the most would be To Kill a Mockingbird. So again, my mother, who really likes the most depressing things possible, gave me that book. Gave me that book when I was nine, and then we watched the movie together. And that book impacted me because I don't think I was really aware of what racism really was, you know, at the age of nine and um, how that impacted us. And I was in that stage with similar to the main character where you're coming out of your own innocent little bubble into the world and you start to see things that are really happening. I think for me, my favorite character, the one that stuck with me the most, the one I thought about the most was Boo Radley. And when I made the decision to start going into counseling, that was one of the characters that I did my main thesis on, were people that were different or something was going on with them and how society treats them. And so in the book, that person is um, 
basically locked up for his entire adulthood. And I remember watching the movie and reading the book thinking, why didn't anybody intervene or why didn't somebody do something? That feeling of anguish stuck with me and it really made a big impact on me. Wow. I don't think I've ever thought about To Kill a Mockingbird is something that, I mean, that's my favorite book and it's the one that I hope wins. Mm -hmm. But um, Me too. Yeah. I I just, (laughs) I I never thought about Boo Radley in that way, which makes me kind of sad because I think everybody tends to think about Atticus because he's just... Oh, and his speech is amazing. It gets you fired up. But I think for Boo Radley, I love the way that that character really embodies the sadness of what happens in our culture Mm -hmm. and then people's ability to make a conscious decision to keep what's pure and innocent about them. And And then I love the fact that he steps out of his shackles even if they were um if they weren't literal to save people and to help people and so i think when we do therapy that's what we see is this stepping out into the world and hopefully the ability to maintain yourself so i love that character he is a tragic character and and we see that in all of these books and i think people need to see other characters other people go through difficult times And that's why Mm -hmm. reading these books gives you therapy, because you see how other people get through things. They're not necessarily happy endings. You see how some people fail to get through things, but you feel less alone. I was um, reading my, I call her my girl crush, Dr. Brene Brown, and she was talking about, I love Dr. Brene Brown, she was talking about the importance of literary characters in like the worst moments of their life because it gives us validation that we're not supposed to be like happy and rainbow and sunshine 24-7. So when we read books like this, it gives us validation for our own struggles. And then sometimes it gives us a way through those things Mm -hmm. because we get to emote and cry for an hour and a half while watching The Help, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I love that both of you brought up the word validation Mm -hmm. because I think that that's what it does uh, a lot of times. The book that you brought up, The Great Gatsby, one that really impacted me that breaks my heart just completely is Frankenstein. And I just feel so hard for the monster because... You know, he didn't ask to be in this world and he was put in this world. And I just relate so much to that. And it's so tragic. And I think books like that, I think we're going to talk about more monster books later on in the podcast. But something about tragedy and like melancholy and that really unsettling feeling between just being so incredibly sad and then happy when you're reading a book. Um, I really like to rest in that area. I like tragic books. I guess I get along with your mom really well. (laughs) I want to talk about to you two specifically Mm -hmm. because you do therapy. Um, How do books, art, how does that inform what you do when you work with people? And specifically if there are books that, I mean, you said To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you apply those to what you do? What we're doing right now, and Jacob and I started a new creative therapy program. This will be our first run. We've been doing it for about six weeks now, really just focusing on creativity. So something that happened for me, and Jacob can add on to this, is um, we wanted them to come up with their own character. And so a lot of that was based on something that they had read or something that they had seen. And it has really taken off the sessions that I am in as being our primary mode of therapy because this character reflects how they see themselves. But instead of saying that I'm sad or people are being awful or I have social anxiety or whatever's going on, they tell us what's going on with them through the character. And it's been one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen 
transformative things I've ever seen. And then we get to see how it is they really want to be in the world through this character. I mean, what are some of the things you've seen with it? Well, the, sort of the primary focus that I have in it is is teaching them how to be more fully expressive. So giving them skills for writing, giving them skills for drawing, things that they can utilize to tell the stories that we would like them mm-hmm. to tell. And if you look at all of every book that made this list in one capacity or another is a is, is the context of the life of the author is important. So, you know, at the time Gatsby was written, Fitzgerald was not a happy guy, it was not a happy time. And so that sadness is reflected in the characters and that's why the book reads the way that it does. We don't really teach people to think of their lives through that lens anymore, so everything is really internalized and we don't push reading, we don't push literature, we don't push the idea of storytelling. And so as we give people more and more tools to tell their own stories, we do see that. They, they pick mm-hmm. up, they develop their own archetype, they develop their own iconography and their own symbolism, and that frees them from that personal stigma that comes with having mental health issues, allows them to speak more freely about what they're actually going through. And, and we get you know, 12 and 13 year old kids who will fully embody the character of a wolf and, mm-hmm. and be down on all fours howling. And there's so much freedom in that act of expression that it bleeds over into the rest of the conversations we have with them. So every action that we get them to go through in that space just gives them more and more of an ability to understand those emotions when they've sort of made them not as personal and put them into a character space. So is that something you too have developed the character, this type of therapy? Well, I think it just, for me, it just evolved because I had some different ideas of what I wanted to do in some of those sessions. And then people that we're working with and it's kids and then some um, women, they really loved the character. So when they come in, they'll say, oh, I, I've developed my character more or I've made it into a griffin. And so one of our last sessions, one of our, I think she's 13 years old, came in and loves Chronicles of Narnia. And there was a character in there that I didn't remember. And so what I asked her to do is, I want you to be that character and tell me if you were that character, how you would have done X, Y, and Z, whatever. And she just went with it. And she's on all fours. And she's got like her arms flapping like wings. And she is howling. And she turned that part of that story in Chronicles of Narnia into how she feels when she is getting online and she's seeing all the ugliness on the internet and what she wants to do with that. And so for me, it was one of the most powerful things that I've ever seen and she's 13 when we use the characters and the archetypes and the literature in our therapy it gives people permission to express what they really want to express wow that's too cool I, I did not expect to hear any of that so. <laughs> well, and, then, and there's there's something else that we're kind of tapping into that you know we're, we're natural storytellers humans have always told stories um, it's how we communicated in the early days, you know, drawings on cave walls, storytelling around a campfire. Mm-hmm. These are the ways that, that we spoke to each other, and this is how you knew who was part of your tribe, how you maintained your mythology was, was through the act of storytelling. And over the last probably 20 years, you've seen a major decline in that as a lot of our narratives now are driven by advertising and by mm-hmm. media company. And so the story is not quite as relevant as positioning a character to have a set of traits that you desire and then offering you a product that you can purchase to take on those traits. So we're not so much telling stories anymore and we're not perpetrating mythology, we're selling products to each other. And and so that part of us has started to fade. And as it fades, our ability to communicate fades as well and we wind up bickering and fighting and we lose our connectivity. 
And so by tapping into these things that are, they're in these great books and, and these books that have withstood some of them, you know, the test of time, um, what you see in those are these stories. These, these archetypes are being built and communicated and transferred to other people. And that's what we're hoping to do in a lot of our therapy is just provide the tools for people to take that same concept and push it further. We're, we're building a campfire for them to gather around, tell stories to each other and feel comfortable and competent in that space. And I think that's where a lot of that powerful impact comes from. Our campfire is Instagram nowadays, sadly. And right. so social media creates very shallow ways mm -hmm. to communicate and see yourself and see the world around you. I think if people were to read some of these books, it would open the doors for them. And I think that's what we're seeing in our therapy is that people, especially the adolescents we work with, the teens, they're on Instagram, like, you know, constantly, Facebook, whatever. And so they have this idea of what they're supposed to look like and what they're supposed to act like in this really perfectionism and then this vulnerability because of the social media bullying so when we pull them in and we start really focusing on literature art and music it has been such it's been amazing how liberated they are and then the depth to which we see them interacting with each other because we do groups I mean, they're really getting to know each other and really forming these connections, whereas it seems like a lot of their connections are online people that they haven't actually ever even met. You know? And are they real connections? And are they real? Yeah. And so, you know, that's been a concern as well. So I think for us, the literature part and the character part is becoming a huge theme where I didn't expect it to in the beginning. You know, as, as we've walked away from more traditional forms of art and we've replaced it with modern entertainment, you know, you, you look at a lot of these books, you have these dominant characters that have very specific traits and they, they do have the surrounding cast and it's all very thoughtful and they go on these journeys and adventures that you get to sort of travel along with them. So you're imagining these scenes, you're imagining what these characters look like until the movie comes out and then it gets totally ruined in your head, you know, and then. <laughs> The character always right. looks like the person in the movie and you can't escape <laughs> that. But we don't really look at things like literature and art and music anymore as as having the benefit that they do and we replace them with this sort of mockery of the human condition. So if you look at, you know, television in the evenings or a lot of the things that come across new on new media, we'll call it that. Your characters are typically very they're buffoons. They're they're stereotypes. They're just made to present a mocking view of how humans interact with each other. So there's no real pain, there is no real suffering, there's not even real happiness or relationships. They're all these sort of wound together experiences that again are meant more so to sell you on a lifestyle and a product. And when you see that reflected over in social media, I imagine if any of these books was attempted to be written as a series of posts on social media, <laughs> every single one of the paragraphs would be met with this rabid troll-like response of negativity and frustration. And even if you went out and said, you know, I think this is one of the greatest books written ever, your first response is typically going to be someone telling you that you're an idiot for thinking that. So we've, we've lost this capacity to immerse ourselves in these other worlds and to learn from these other worlds because we don't really feel like we need to anymore. We, we don't feel like we should be bettering ourselves on a daily basis. The importance of a project like this to get people back into the act of reading books. And I, I don't read a whole lot of books on paper. I listen to them on audio. I'm, I'm much better learning that way. And I, I can get a lot more done when I am just have a book going in my ear. So. 
but I'll, I'll you know read 20 to 30 books a year on average that way and I wish more people were doing that because I think it does opens our minds and our eyes to other people's existence and to other concepts and ideas without the immediate feedback that we get mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. everything now we, we snack instead of immerse ourselves we never have a nutritious meal we just have little snacks and we're eating junk food all day and I think it affects people's minds and I I do think that that need for immediate gratification and for people to agree with you uh, in many ways that's that's why I won't choose my favorite book on this list because I don't want everyone to agree on the same book I want everyone to read all the books and read more books Mm -hmm. and there are multiple books that should be the great American read I was just going to agree with both of you in that I think that we lack depth in a lot of the things that we read or see, especially on social media now. So one of the more recent experiences I had is when Jacob had me listen to, what was it, Hal? Who was that guy? I introduced her to to Ginsburg, Hal. She's not not thoroughly impressed. But it was something (laughs) that I found myself thinking about, I would say, for about a week on what this person's perspective of and do I agree and do I not agree and the cultural impact of the time and did I feel like that was valid or not valid. And I would say the average length of time I spend thinking about something I see on social media is about, what, 15 seconds compared to like this week. And we've had multiple discussions about it. Like my biggest question to Jacob was, wouldn't this person have just been better, like, you know, helping people out or doing some social work? And he had a different opinion about that. (laughs) But point being that we had this discussion and it really did help me with talking with with Jacob and I went back and listened to it again on what is it like to be another person and another person's perspective and the things that they go through and the struggles they have and then relating it back to myself so there was so much more depth there and I wasn't prepared for that when he first (laughs) showed it to me on his phone and so yeah I would have to agree that I think that we that depth is what we're lacking and we're seeing that in our personal relationships as well. I think that's great, though, that it sparked a conversation. And I I love the fact that people are reading and talking about books instead of arguing about Yanny versus Laurel. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, something very interesting. I'm part of the Great American Read Book Club on Facebook, and it is the kindest group I have ever been part of. And tons of people post that. They're like, it is so nice to be in a group with people that we're not fighting and arguing and we're just trying to share our love Mm -hmm. of reading and our love of books and these characters. And I think that that's why I latched onto this project so quickly is that I love talking about good books with people. And it's never been my inclination to be like, why is that your favorite book? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's it's like, oh, I want to go read it. I want to I want to be part of this conversation. Mm -hmm. So I will say as much as I do think social media is can be detrimental to our society and has been. um, It's been nice to see this project spark that kind of love and passion and and conversation anything can be detrimental if used wrong Mm -hmm. so social media is just media Mm -hmm. and people misuse it i don't think it was intended to be used this way but it certainly has created lots of negative things in the world so if it can be a force for positive change that's great 
any tool can be misused. You know, books have been used as propaganda. They've been used to actually present false information. Mm -hmm. and, and social media is a communications tool and really should be one of the most amazing tools that we have. And, and it really can be, you know, the, the people that we work with, both in the therapy space and then in my space as a builder are global. And being able to find people that are in Indonesia and Mexico and mm -hmm. all over the world, Social media is the fastest way for us to communicate. We're a couple of buttons away from a video call with four of us in three different time zones in four different countries. And that unto itself is, is an amazing capacity and tool. So the any of these books could be misused. I've, I've expressed some of my grievances with a few of them. I think they are misused and I think they do serve as bad training for people when they're growing up. Um, it's it's what we allow ourselves to to be manipulated by, and I think the more you read and the more exposure you have, the more that this type of literature is presented to you, it gives you defenses against that. When someone comes at you with something that is false but sounds really really good, you have this toolkit in your mind of experiences that you've had through the vehicle of literature, if not through your experiences in your own life. And I think adding to that is what gives you the power to know when somebody is actively trying to mislead you. Because we live in a world of everything is fake news. Everything. It doesn't matter. If you disagree with it, you call it fake news. And that is the dangerous space to occupy because then there becomes no space for truth. And these books that are on this list have a have enough truth in them that they've managed to sustain. And that to me is really important. Reading literature gives you the ability to think critically. And that's something we're not developing now as, as a culture. I've heard people say, I don't read books, I don't have the attention span. And that just makes me so sad, gosh. Well, or people who say, I don't like to read fiction. That bothers me um, because I think that the ability to, as we've used the word immerse, immerse yourself in another person's life is so very important and understand another person's life. That exposure to people or experiences that are completely different than your own makes us more empathetic, makes us more sensitive, makes us more connected. I, I brought, I found this quote from C.S. Lewis, which I think explains why we like to read sad books in a way. He said, out of all human events, it is tragedy alone that brings people out of their own petty desires and into awareness of other humans' suffering. Tragedy occurs in human lives so that we will learn to reach out and comfort others. If you could, and going around, and perhaps this will be, you can take a moment to think about it. Choose a character from a book that you most relate to or that you identify with. And it doesn't have to be Jill first. It can be well, anyone, and that, I was thinking, anyone that wants to Well, and I was thinking about that when you were discussing using the character as a way to either decide what you want your life to look like or describe how you are. I think it really depends. It depends on the day and where you are in your life. That's a that's a really tough. I don't think I can answer that question. That's a tough question. <laughs> Do you got? Can you? When, when I was yeah, thinking I can, I can about the books, 
Well, this is this is really pathetic. But one of the books that's not on the list is The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath when we talk about you might need therapy. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> there have been times when I feel like I've related to where she is in The Bell Jar. So I don't know that the characters I relate to are the characters who are successful. I relate to the characters who are trapped. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Why <laughs> she might uh, feel that really? way? Are we going to have therapy mm-hmm. right now? A little more time. <laughs> <laughs> a questionnaire we needed to fill out. But that's the good thing <laughs> about <laughs> reading the books where the characters are going through these obstacles is you realize that you're not the only person who's been through it. Mm-hmm. That connectedness I get from literature that I can't get from watching a movie or a television show. I have a tendency to relate more to authors and the themes that they deal with than I do to any individual character. So, you know, Siddhartha is one of the few I've read from Herman, and the Glass Bead game is a little more difficult to get through. Steppenwolf is a little bit more difficult to get through. But if you look at when he was writing and what he was writing and how it relates to the time in which he existed, um, being a Buddhist when you're dealing with the rise of Nazi Germany is a very complicated worldview to try to occupy. And he did actively fight against fascism and Nazism and things like that, and his writings were eventually banned. Um, so with with those characters in there, you, you sort of pick up that context and that theme can become relatable as somebody's battling against a, a greater evil. Um, but then some of them, like Hemingway, I, I caught early on and, you know, rereading him through a lens of 2018 can be a little bit more complicated. He wasn't the nicest guy. He certainly was not uh, feminist by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but when I read his books at the time, things like The Sun Also Rises and, and those types of books kicked off a sense of adventure in me that I haven't let go of yet. I still want to see the world through that lens. And then Vonnegut taught me how to be sardonic, you know, and and I still, if I need something to read to bring me back to an understanding of the world I feel comfortable with, Kurt's the good one I go to. Uh, Welcome to the Monkey House ought to be on here. It's a collection of short stories, but it is one of the most profound books that I know, particularly for me, ever hit me. And and so that's what I tend to do is I, I find authors that speak to a worldview that I either am challenged by or am, am, can embrace more fully. And those authors typically create characters that I can fall in love with or in find a way to hate. Uh, There's certainly a lot of characters on here that that's my gut response <laughs> is yeah. kind of disgust and hatred. I love To Kill a Mockingbird, and so my first reaction is, oh, I love Scout, but when I think about the character that I relate most to, then it's going to have to be Alice in Wonderland for me. And the reason that that has been a huge thing for me, even have my bathroom done up, kind of like this Mad Hatter um, deal in the morning, (laughs) is for me, uh, it was about 10 years ago, and I'm pretty open about, I have a child with a lot of medical issues, and so he is only one of 10 people in the world to have his medical issues. The dynamic in counseling is changing, and so we're running into people more with autism and PTSD, and we have more dementia, and so those are the things that Jacob and I work on. I was at this point where I had to leave traditional ways of helping people, and then with things going on with my son, I couldn't find any traditional health care. So it has been like down the rabbit hole for me and trying to find help for my son and trying to find new modalities for helping people. So when I look at the last 10 years, it's definitely like Alice in Wonderland because I've met some of the strangest characters. I mean, we have a, a Navajo medicine woman that comes and works with us. And then some of the people that I've worked with that are across the globe, it has just been 
it's almost like everything is upside down. So for me, and I was thinking about it, like Jacob would be like the Mad Hatter person because he's this person <laughs> that always has the strangest perspective on things, but somehow, you know, tends to be my counselor and talking me off the ledge every now and then like, okay, everything is fine. But for me, and especially the last 10 years, I would definitely have to say Alice in Wonderland because it's been this life that I never would have imagined that I would have lived in all of these random, really strange people that I didn't know people like that were even possible. Definitely Alice in Wonderland. That's really cool. I would have never thought anyone would choose that because what a different way to write a book. You know, like the imagery and the way that Lewis Carroll did that. I don't know. It's just I love his quotes. Yes. And one that I have on my bathroom is I can't go back to yesterday because I was a different person then. Mm-hmm. And I have that every morning because when I wish things were normal or easier or okay, then I have to remember that there's no way of going backwards because of all the different experiences I have. I'm just a different person now. That's excellent. You're still good with the bell jar as your Well, as your I, I just don't okay. think there's a character I necessarily embody, but it, it brings to mind an interesting idea of not being a counselor. But would that be a form of counseling to give people a reading list? And would it help guide the way they see themselves? What I find is when I read at least good authors, I think in the author's voice or the main character's mm-hmm. voice. And... It impacts how I relate to everything throughout the day. If I read the book, I read a chapter in the morning, I go through my day relating to the world like that book. So maybe what I read shapes my mind, mm-hmm. and I should stop just reading whatever I can find because it's affordable. I definitely think that there are some books that can be therapeutic, and I think, like you said, really getting involved in that character because it gives us maybe like an additional dimension to who we are and what's really going on around us. So for me, really trying to mentally conceptualize what my life is like today because it's so upside down to where it was 15 years ago. That is the character that helps me get through things. And then if you look at it, a lot of these books are so well written that you'll see like the supporting cast. Who are the people that you really need in your life? And who are the people that are going to help you move forward? And how do you move forward? And so when I look at some of these different characters as supporting staff, then those are the people that I have in my life. And I can it gives me in another way to think about that relationship and what it means to me. I've been thinking about my character this entire time, and I thought originally Scout, because mm-hmm. To Kill a Mockingbird is obviously my favorite, but I actually think it's Scarlett O'Hara from Gone with the Wind, because she has that longing for home and longing for the past, and that's totally who I am. I am so nostalgic, and I love going home and that feeling that you can just kind of rest in. It's warm and fuzzy, but also she's just stubborn. Well, she's, you know, she's not, well, she is stubborn, but she's, she's like a badass. She's spicy. Yes. And she, she stops at nothing to do what she, she needs to do. And I think it's more that I want to be more like that. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't like Scarlett because of her choices, you know, romantically or otherwise. But I don't know. I think, I think I would like to be like Scarlett a little bit more in my life, but she's a survivor. Now, as far as, you know, the blatant racism and slavery I would I have nothing no (laughs) desire to relate to any of that but I I do I love I love Scarlett O'Hara I think she's awesome
course, with the Great American Read, the list only had these certain guidelines that it had to follow. So you have your, it had to be a work of fiction, it had to be a novel, it had to be only one per author, along with a slew of other stipulations. So are there self-help books or books even on here that you think kind of classify as self-help um, that you would recommend or that have impacted you? We'll start with Christy on this because we always start with Bill. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> um, I think as far as the self-help genre, I think there's some, I think there's a lot of people that I would ask people to stay away from because I think there's a lot of danger in self-help because you have people that are not necessarily trained and they put a lot of verbiage in there and I think there are some dangers just have to put a disclaimer out there that people that have really serious issues want to run and grab a book and think okay I'm going to be cured by chapter five Mm -hmm. and um and so we it's like this quick fix it and so any books like that you know how to be a badass as a woman or how to make him love you or you know any of those Mm -hmm. things just I would say probably stay away from this but the authors that I love that I think do a phenomenal job of helping guide people through some fairly difficult spaces whether it's work or family or whatever uh, would be Ayanna Van Zandt I love anything from her and she is amazing and I love reading from anyone that has just been to hell and back so she does an amazing job, Ayanla Van Zant, and uh, she has a whole book about forgiveness, which is different than what we would, how we would normally classify forgiveness. And then Dr. Brene Brown, I have to give a shout out to her. So I think her books do a great job of not necessarily hide how tos, but what are some things to examine in your own life and to making your life uh, an actual product of you rather than a reactionary thing that happens to us every day. So those two authors I think are amazing. I, w- I would sort of lean the same way. I'm not a big fan of self-help. I'm not a big fan of books that are just sort of a repeated mantra of how awesome you are every day because I think that actually keeps people from progressing. Um, the books that I read that would kind of fall into that category, I just recently finished one uh, by a friend and author, uh, Michael Ventura, who I met through Burning Man. He, he runs a company called Sub Rosa, but he wrote a book called Applied Empathy. And it has to do with empathy as the new language of business leadership. And that's of interest to me, uh, those types of books. Uh, so Michael's new book is, is spectacular. I just finished it. Uh, Creativity Inc., which is a book about Pixar. Again, it's about culture and how these cultures facilitate creativity and expression. Um, another one that I really, really surprised me because the cover is not the type that would make you want to grab it, and not, nor is the title. Um, it was called Make Art, Make Money, and it was about <laughs> Jim Henson. And oh. it was a biography on Jim Henson and how he actually used the vehicle of Sesame Street and, and the children's puppets to create a space in which he could then make the movies that he wanted to. So things like Labyrinth and The Dark Crystal were passion projects that he self-funded by utilizing the residuals that came from the Sesame Street and the Muppet experience. So he was always honest and open with kids and he was always then able to build the type of product that he wanted to on his own. So those are when I lean towards what would qualify in that self-help space. I'm looking at other creatives, people who've traveled a path that I find compelling and I want to sort of glean something from. Um, But most of your typical self-help authors, I am not very popular with my opinions about the, the most popular ones are the ones that we argue about the most because I just can't stand them. <laughs> but I won't name names. Okay. <laughs> Jill? Most self-help books strike me as common sense, and I always get angry and think, well, why didn't I write that common sense down and make all that money? And yet sometimes it's helpful to read something like The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People mm-hmm. by Stephen Covey just to focus yourself and think about things in a slightly different way. 
I, and I, I just don't read self-help books very often because I read on the Kindle. So sometimes I'll read the beginning of a book and realize it's the same thing rehashed again in a different way. And yet, mm-hmm. boy, they're sure selling a lot of mm-hmm. them because there are a lot of unhappy people who think there's a magic pill, which is sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was one book that I read, and sadly I cannot remember the name of the author right now. And I started to read it because the title cracked me up. The title was 10% Happier. And there are all these books about being happy, and I, I like the goal there. Is mm-hmm. You're not going to be happy, but you could be a little happier. <laughs> and so the premise was it was written by a television reporter who had been doing stories about different religions, and he went and investigated different religions to see if there's any religion that could give people peace and happiness. In the end, his decision, his conclusion was that meditation made him 10% happier. Mm-hmm. So it, it did kind of fall in line with the Eastern religions. Now, did I start meditating? No, I thought about it for a minute and thought that would be a good idea. <laughs> but I didn't start. I'm still in the, the thinking about it stage. <laughs> but I liked that goal of being 10% happier, not change your life, transform yourself. You know, you can flip a switch by reading this book and your mm-hmm. mind will be different. Of course, there are all the books about decluttering your, your life and your space, which I find very frustrating. Mm-hmm. So buy this book to declutter your space. Wait a minute. I'm confused. <laughs> Isn't it now in my space? So I guess I have a lot of frustration with that genre. I read books definitely for escapism. Like, is that is that a good thing to escape? Is it a good thing to, to be an escapist? Because I've been told, like, you escape too much and you're not living enough in your own reality. But, like... I think that that's like the whole point. That's why I like movies. That's why I like books. Do you, do you use it as a form of, es- of escapism or does it bring you into your own awareness Entirely more? escapism okay. for me. Yes. It, it's a type of escapism I can't get from television or movies. Reading because you're creating the scenes in your own mind is the ultimate escapism for me. What about you? I kind of go the opposite direction. Like okay. for me, it's it's more about absorption. And, and so I do tend to be very much a, a present thinker and, and mindfulness is very important to me. So when I'm reading something, I'm hoping to gain something from it. So it, it does sort of limit my ability to read a lot of things because uh, if I get a chapter in and I don't feel like there's much gain being made, I'll, I'll walk away from the book. I don't have a whole lot that I feel the need to escape from. Like I'm, I'm really good in the spaces that I occupy and I get to spend a lot of time working on my own creative output and, and around people who are the same. Creativity to me has always been a process of distillation. So you, you start out with a big vat of a whole bunch of madness and chaos and everything that nobody would be interested in. And you slowly distill that down to a thimble full of something beautiful. And that for me, reading is filling that vessel and, and just putting as much in as I can so that I have something to process down through the other end and, and create that little nugget of creativity that I'm always hunting for. That's awesome. It's a different perspective. I don't think that reading really is escapism. So I would just have to, you know, really kind of push back on anyone that thought that reading was a form of escapism because 
The reason that I say that is because when you're reading, you are experiencing something. Even if you're just sitting in your bed, you know, 11 o'clock at night reading something, emotionally you're experiencing something, mentally you're experiencing something, your imagination is on. That is a form of creativity because we're creating those images and those feelings and that experience within ourselves. And so I feel like... One of the reasons that reading is so therapeutic is because, again, it gives us permission to feel different things and to feel um, the way that we really want to feel and to have experiences that we really want to to have, whether they're good or they're bad. And so I think it is just allowing ourselves to really step out of what we think we should or should not be doing and into a place that we really want to occupy. And... A lot of, especially the books on this list, but a lot of really good books stay with us and they do impact how we feel the next day. So if I'm up reading The Help at night and I'm bawling, and you know, for us <laughs> the night, you know, then the next day I still have that book with me. I still feel that um, it attaches to us. So I think it's just another avenue for true expression. So calling it escapism would be like calling going to an art exhibit escapism it, in a way maybe it diminishes the importance of reading I, to I, use that term i think there's a lot of things that we do to numb out but i don't think reading is one of those things so therefore i don't call it escapism your dream top three or maybe even just what you think that the nation will choose as the top three books oh well that i think definitely the nation will will put to kill a mockingbird in the top three there are certain books that just about everyone's read and so those books will be in the top three i would guess some of them that are well loved by people because they're not considered great literature will not be in the top three (laughs) So To Kill a Mockingbird is your vote. That is definitely one of my votes. Do I have to pick three? Well, no. Okay, good. I'm not going to make you do anything. <laughs> I don't like to make choices. I, I love all of these books. Well, I haven't read all of them. I love the 54 books that I've read. Um, I don't love them equally, but I appreciate them all. Jacob? If I were to pick the three that I wished would win, um, I, I don't think they will because... I, I don't know. They, they, they're not, not as widely read, but anything by Douglas Adams, so Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, as a series of books, is just absolutely spectacular. And, and Kurt Vonnegut is my sort of literary hero, so I, you know, Sirens of Titan is great. There's several others that'd be kind of fun to see on this. I understand why Sirens would be on this list as opposed to Breakfast of Champions or something Wait, like that. Would you explain why you think it is? Because everyone we've talked to, they're like, why didn't they choose, you know, Slaughterhouse Five? Or I, I think those those books had a bit more societal challenge built into them. Um, Sirens of Titan is a little bit more on the sort of satirical, sardonic exploration of sci-fi that Vonnegut liked to go down, as opposed to something like Breakfast of Champions, which was very challenging and, and was sort of pushing back at certain aspects of. Our culture, so I, I I understand why they put it on there, and I'd love to see more people read it as a starting point. I am a big fan of Steinbeck. I would I would move Grapes of Wrath maybe aside for Travels with Charlie, which is a little bit lesser read, but I think a more profound exploration of American culture at that time. Um, albeit, you know, now we know loosely interpreted, um, some things weren't quite what they seemed to be, 
And and so I, I would say if I were to pick my three favorite, I'd, I'd probably go with The Sun Also Rises. I'd go with The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And then, of course, Siddhartha. Um, in terms of what America will pick, I, I do believe it will fall into that space of Charlotte's Web, Gone with the Wind, things that are more familiar and that more people have had an opportunity to explore. I don't think people read Hitchhiker's Guide anymore. That makes me sad. Anything that I can find from Douglas Adams is always going to be entertaining, and they've done a great job of converting a lot of that into the audiobook space, so that's great road trip audio. Yeah, why, why do you think that? Well, I just haven't heard people talk about it. I, I remember when his books first came out, everyone was always talking about them and quoting them, and you just don't hear it anymore. And people love to share random quotes on social media, and gosh, he has so many great random quotes, as does Lewis Carroll, but people don't mm-hmm. share them as much. Well, you have to, you know, quote pop stars and mm-hmm. entertainment political combination figures. <laughs> <laughs> Christy? For me, I would have to say Alice in Wonderland. Love it. And then To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, I have to say that one because it's my favorite. One that was on here that I love is Wuthering Heights. And it's that one that, oh my gosh, I just dread it and love it at the same time. Like, oh, I don't know if I can handle this today. Okay, <laughs> let's just go for it. So yeah, Wuthering Heights. Weathering Heights. Mm. Oh, that's Heathcliff. And oh, yeah. yeah. I, I always mix up that those era. They all know, kind mm-hmm. of run together yes. in my mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Weathering Heights is a great one. That's another one that I think was just tragic. Oh, it yeah. It depressed me so yeah. much. Yeah. I'll never forget. I read it. My family had a deal. I had to read a movie, and then we would watch it together. But watching my grandmother and watching him just, like, screaming over, um, you know, on the cliff, there's just I'll never forget that. There's just that agony there. So yeah, I'm gonna have to pick Wuthering Heights. Thank you for listening, book lovers. And remember to click subscribe wherever you may be listening to this podcast. Special thanks goes to the Mag7 for providing us with music, to Scotty Vanderford, Cullen Lutz, and Stevie Brashears for designing us such a cool logo. We encourage you to vote now at panhandlepbs.org slash greatamericanread for your favorite book on the list. See you next time.